Harry Potter's greatest fear is fear, which is very wise, uh, apparently. To help me become wise on this episode, I welcome back Christina from the Restricted section. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the book too seriously. I'm Zach, your host, and I didn't read this series until my mid-20s. Today, we continue Prisoner of Azkaban with Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we start, spoilers, obviously. Language, definitely. Shout out to Katie holding it down for the bonus binge squad. If you want to join the fun and get shout outs in the episodes as well as access to bonus content and other cool benefits, check out patreon.com slash belated binge. Let's get to Christina. Before we get into the chapter, welcome back, Christina! Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much. Somehow we started a tradition, and I don't know if you even knew that you started this tradition. Um, you were first on this podcast to discuss a chapter in Chamber of Secrets. Do you remember mm-hmm. which chapter that was? Oh my god, was it chapters 8 and or 9? <laughs> it was chapter 8, Death Day Party. That's... Wait, th- the funniest part about that is that I have a guest on the restricted section who only comes on for chapter 8. Really? Of it's not book. me, yes. so I don't know how it's this not, happens. It's not you, it's it's Nov from a Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> Symposium, and they've come on for chapter 8, I think the last like 3 or 4 books, and they're coming on for chapter 8 for the last book. I think this is a this is a you thing. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you have a thing for eight. I the, guess. The Harry Potter books have a thing for seven. You have a thing for eight. <laughs> well, don't you know, seven is the most magically powerful number. It is, absolutely. Something about three and four. I don't know. Uh, for those who may be new or just need a refresher, that amazing voice that you hear accompanying me is Christina from the Restricted Section. Please, please remind us what the Restricted Section is. Hello. I do forget that I'm, like, especially since I've been on this show a couple times, I'm like, I belong here. You know, like, I, <laughs> I forget that I need an introduction. But yes, I'm Christina. I'm the host of the Restricted Section, which is a raunchy, rowdy, um, Harry Potter slander, Harry Potter book club podcast where we read Harry Potter and then we're like using our grown up thinking brains and we're like, oh, we kind of missed a lot of stuff that we need to talk about. (laughs) That's fair. You also have a brand new podcast and I didn't know if you wanted to intro that real quick. Oh, God, I sure do. I'm, for obvious reasons, kind of same as you, Zach, um, diversifying my creative portfolio beyond Harry Potter content. <laughs> Just, you know, expanding my horizon. So I have a new podcast called Burn Before Reading, and it is a show where we roast the writing that you did in high school and take a moment to reflect on how far you've come. Specifically me. It's actually all of my writing. I've been submitting for every episode and they've just been destroying it, tearing it apart the whole time. I do hope to get you on the show to talk about one of your old songs or something because it, it really it's really a lot of fun. It's a really fun show. I honestly it might be hard to pick something to do. Um not because everything that I do is great, but because everything that I do the is opposite. trash. So <laughs> yeah, we could I'm literally just throw a dart. <laughs> I'm with you. I have a 
collection of hundreds of pieces from when I was a kid. So like, that's part of the appeal is it's like, I'm not just asking you to come let me destroy you. I'm also putting my own shit up on the chopping block. We'll just have to have you on the show a couple times because, you know, we want we want it all. We want to destroy everyone's <laughs> bad writing. Oh, we just, you know, we 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 get egos when we have podcasts. We just we get our heads inflated and it's time to bring us down a peg. The tens of people listening really just it's gets <laughs> really gets to us. And sometimes we need to be brought down to earth. But it's nice because it's like, wow, I'm a really good podcaster. Like, it's like I'm cannibalizing the artist I used to be in the name of the artist that I'm trying to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let me <laughs> destroy this part poem that I put my heart and soul into when I was 14 to make a really solid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you could be doing it to other people. That's pretty much the internet, right? Like, just destroying other people's work. So you might as well destroy your own. <laughs> exactly and that's always been my mo like if there's a joke to be made about me i'm the first one to make it and then that's how i maintain confidence and agency in every encounter in my life <laughs> like oh you think i did something dumb well let me tell you i did something dumb <laughs> i did something dumber than you even thought i did <laughs> dumber than harry potter just kidding could never it's it's tough sometimes. Sometimes Harry is very astute and very capable as a hero and a protagonist. And sometimes he's oblivious to everything that's happening. And that's as good a segue as any, I think, to getting into the actual <laughs> chapter of Harry Potter that we <laughs> discussed. Yeah, over, over on the restricted section, we've been covering Half-Blood Prince. And I think it's the first time in the whole series where Harry is consistently taking action and making choices and like thinking critically and so coming back to this book was kind of like uh, <laughs> like we've i've come so far with him so slowly <laughs> and then i'm like oh god he's just fighting with his stupid friends about stupid stuff in book three <laughs> kind of is yeah this in this book for me got it's also a really slow start to be honest um mm -hmm. like the first the first five chapters, I feel like, were a bit of a drag to get through. And now I'm actually excited to continue past that. Because I know that Prisoner is a lot of people's favorite book in the series. Um, it's not mine. Mm -hmm. The one that you're in is mine. Half-Blood Prince is life for me. Um, yeah, I think before I got to Half-Blood Prince on this reread, I thought Prisoner of Azkaban was like... My favorite, also, I, I like Goblet of Fire just because it's fun, but, like, reading it, I'm like, oh, God, Half-Blood Prince is, like, so fun. It is. It's it's a fantastic book just in it of itself and then is a real standout, I think, within the context of the series for me. Um, yeah. But I also, I really like the, I like the, the one constant thing that I've always enjoyed kind of no matter what age or what I'm going through in life is that like mm -hmm. investigative type of a TV show. And that's what Half-Blood Prince feels like to me with the stuff with yeah. Dumbledore and the memories and that kind of thing. Like it's like a Criminal Minds episode taking place in the wizarding world. And like, I'm all yeah. for that. Just like searching for clues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's not... It's not FOMO about getting to go to the candy store. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's where we are currently. 
Um, all right, so we are going to talk today about, uh, well, this episode is going to be about Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. But before we do that, in case you were obliviated or got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces in that white liquidy substance of our pensive. Uh, in Chapter oh 7, uh, the Boggart in the wardrobe, Snape was awful to Neville, even more than his usual level. We had our first class with Lupin, who let children face their worst fears in front of all their classmates, which goes really well and is actually a lot of fun somehow. Uh, but Harry walks away uh. feeling <laughs> very emasculated because Lupin didn't uh, let him have a turn, which Harry assumes yeah. means that Lupin didn't think he was strong enough to do it because Lupin Harry is I'm a, a little yeah yeah i forget do you do swearing on your show i'm so sorry that i keep interrupting you i do i do a lot of it sometimes yes um (laughs) but essentially harry's a 13 year old boy and a 13 year old boy is completely self-absorbed and insecure no matter how gryffindor he is and so yeah lupin kind of kind of really rocked him by not letting him face Mm -hmm. the boggart and now the moment that everyone has been waiting for Priori, Incan chapter, where our wands connect, not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down (laughs) in the chapter that we just read this week, as I mentioned, chapter eight, Flight of the Fat Lady. In this chapter, if I could summarize it, Harry doesn't get to go on the field trip and has tea with Lupin instead, who doesn't die from Snape's potion. Fair enough? Not yet, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're 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 still hoping that that goes the other way. Some somebody kill Snape. Just do that, please. Can can we do that? Can we bring Nagini in here a little faster, please? I just hate like a, so a much. reverse a reverse poison where Snape gives Lupin a poison, but that kills Snape. Yes, give give me that fan fiction. Somebody write it and then point towards it and then probably read it on burn before reading because there's no way that's actually a good story Uh, (laughs) it opens with time jumping overview stuff um how Mm. everybody but draco loves lupin and defense against the dark arts uh it kind of here's the high notes snape's caught wind of the rumors going around about his cross-dressing boggart doppelganger and apparently is bullying neville worse than ever uh, Trelawney is annoyingly dramatic around Harry, and it's like spreading to his classmates who think he's just gonna drop dead at any moment in time. <laughs> but we know the school year is not over yet, so nothing's gonna happen yet. Can't uh, drop dead yet. No, no, we have to. Voldemort will always wait till the end of the book. Yeah, um, which is very kind and polite of him, respectful of Harry's studies. You know, I don't really think it's about Harry's studies. I think it's just the sanctity of Hogwarts. It's that, like, he wanted to be a teacher after all. Mm. <laughs> so he, he still can't help but respect the the semester calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually <laughs> lives off of it. This is his finals is, all right, got to kill that Potter boy. <laughs> We've been training for this all year. <laughs> he has he has yet to get his his... his OWL in that particular subject. <laughs> but maybe this is the year, folks. We'll find out after this. Uh, Hagrid's class now makes death sound like sweet release because he's afraid to do anything but flubber worms after the whole Draco and Buckbeak thing. 
if only he had any teaching experience he could draw upon that could help him be a better teacher here. If only. Yeah. He's in a tough spot. Uh, he really is. I don't know how you go from being, like, I know he's games keeper. So, mm -hmm. is that like being taken from landscaping crew to, like, direct the movie? Like, how is, what's the jump from games keeper to professor actually teaching a subject? I think it's literally, like, would you let a landscaper teach a botany class? Like, you wouldn't pick him, but you'd let them, I guess. Hmm. So... It's almost like he should have teach, but then like you have the herbology of it all, and I feel like that's a real disaster if Haggard's doing that one. That's probably true. Well, the thing is that like there's a difference between understanding animals in yeah. it, like academically and like just like knowing how to handle it. That's the difference between like a farmer <laughs> and like a zoologist or like a veterinarian. You know what I mean? I think so. I I was actually like the way that I was have always been hung up on it, I guess, is like he knows the material very well. He has no idea how to actually like translate that for somebody else to learn it because That's he has true. none of that training. Yeah. Um I know you're not a sports person, but it's like the That's true. uh there there's a a saying in sports those who can play and those who can't coach <laughs> oh and those who can't teach teach gym i saw that in school of rock i you know that's very true that's why <laughs> back in the chapter six discussion with dan from hongwort's a podcast i suggested that oh i um, love dan yeah he was here just a minute ago sort of that's so funny. A minute in podcast time. Um, <laughs> what did we we um, ah we we were discussing the possibility for a fictional spinoff where our golden trio is um, a workplace comedy and they're all professors mm -hmm. at Hogwarts and it was pretty. I've always easy. wanted the Hogwarts workplace comedy. It would be so funny. Yeah, so we we decided that Harry was gonna obviously be deep defense against the dark arts professor. Hermione could teach transfiguration. Um, she is basically McGonagall reincarnated after all. But then we had to find a mm -hmm. place to put Ron, and we were like, Muggle Pooch? studies. Sorry. Uh, oh my god. Wait. Uh, he, he, he would. He would much rather be the Quidditch referee or whatever, but I think that Muggle Studies would be very good and humbling for him to finally understand his father's interest in Muggle stuff. It would it would be character growth. Yes, and... exactly. That's why I think he probably will go for the ca uh, the coaching job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he just gets to do flying lessons one day for first years a year and then referee Quidditch because that's all she does. Maybe it's just because he's been on my mind lately, but I also would love to see that show where Cormac McLaggen is the Quidditch coach and referee um, from oh. the sixth book. Because I've just been reading about him lately, and I think that would be yeah. like a very fun dynamic in a TV show. Ugh, what? Ugh. He's the worst. Oh, I know. And you don't even have to be reading it to have a visceral reaction of like, 
vomit inducing in the back of the throat like he's it's true just terrible just true and as a woman it's like yeah i've been on a date with that guy (laughs) (laughs) i've never been on a date with him i've probably been him on you yeah so that whole section of the chapter is pretty much throwaway um Mm -hmm. but what isn't throwaway because it is the absolute most important thing here quidditch season is upon us of course oh my god wood is all wood and is graduating and not leaving without that quidditch cup quidditch is life I, I maybe and I I think I'm gonna have this problem where I keep bringing up the sixth book because that is what I'm reading on my podcast right now. But like I'm I'm just like I'm three years down this journey in in story, and so when and priorities have shifted by year six, and so in this chapter when it was like, luckily like Harry, oh fuck, it was something like luckily Harry had like one shining thing to look forward <laughs> yeah. to, and I was like, oh, I wonder what that's gonna be, and then I was like, oh fucking quidditch okay great (laughs) of course it's quidditch i i wanted to love quidditch i did i wanted to love it so much i know i don't love it so much (laughs) yeah it's tough. scientifically impossible (laughs) yeah it's it's just a tough it's a tough thing and i know it was at least from what people say online it was purposefully tough because the writer of it all was like, sports are dumb, and I'm going to make this dumb sport that doesn't make any sense, and we'll... Well, she did. Yep, that was success, because it doesn't make any sense. Made a dumb sport. <laughs> it would be a great sport if the Seeker didn't exist. Just get rid of get rid of the snitch, and you yeah, actually have something entertaining. Yeah, it's just soccer. Yeah. It's like it... three-dimensional soccer at that point. Yeah, it's it's three-dimensional soccer. It's got a basketball element. It's got a football element. Yeah. It's got a rugby element. Like, you've got flying, racing, brooms, fun, fast. Yeah. People can die. It's great. But, it's great. You know, snitch. I think, that, like, Harry can't be, like, our very special boy if he's, like, one of three chasers. Harry has to have a position in, he has to change the rules of Quidditch so that he can have his special position as Seeker. You might be right about that. We have to elevate him above everyone else. Yeah, I mean, he could just be good at it. That would be a good start. I mean. Can't, can't be normal. Can't be the same. You could have. He's a special boy. Yeah, but there are special people that there are <laughs> professional sports leagues that exist and they are very, very special at those sports and those sports make sense as sports. Oh, my God. Zach, you'll be so proud of me. I literally have not played an organized sport since eighth grade uh, soccer. Um, And this I just finished my league bowling season. We came nice. in third place. Nice. Our team name was All Three Holes. <laughs> <laughs> and me and my like best friends from college did it and it was very fun. And I know that bowling is like sure it's a sport, but like I know it's not a sport. It's a sport. It's also an activity. It's kind of kind of blurs the line. About, I had to worry about what my body was doing in order to get a ball to a designated area. Like that's a sport, baby. Yeah. Yeah, and there's an objective. Um, there's a score that's kept. Like, yeah, it, it's a sport. Yeah. 
and we came in third out of eight teams so that's pretty good i think nice yeah yeah that's good i i I, well i'll save you my bowling stories um (laughs) what do we got um so aside from quidditch being life uh everybody else is getting super excited for the first hogsmeade weekend except for harry because he doesn't have the yeah he doesn't have the signed permission slip and everybody thinks there's a mass murderer trying to kill him but it's mostly fomo mostly in one year they're going to force him to play in a possibly lethal tournament with no one's permission (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. but you can't go into town hun it's dangerous yep yep uh in the past two years he's saved the school the wizarding world from a mass murderer who's been trying to kill him his entire life the the evilest serial killer of the age (laughs) but you know can't go get some sweets with all the special treatment the fandom like claims that harry gets he can't go buy a box of candy without a signature from his abusers i know it's really stupid if i were mcgonagall or dumbledore i would have just let him like he's safe in hogsmeade when everyone else is there too like the whole school's there make hagrid stay with him the whole time or something you know yeah you almost say that he's more exposed by himself isolated even if he is being grumpy because he's just grumping around the school and he makes his worst decisions when he's grumpy that's true so that does lead me to ask you this question um dumbledore knows that the dursleys aren't gonna sign this i know so was it his intention to not let him go maybe because sirius black is on the loose and dumbledore still has these like incorrect assumptions about him um like maybe Dumbledore's like oh this is perfect I don't have to tell him he can't go I'll just keep him I don't know it just seems dumb it's so uncharacteristically logical logical and conscious of Dumbledore (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it's almost like he could have been taking the liberty to perhaps initiate some other activities that Harry could have been involved in during this time that his classmates were in Hogsmeade when he had to stay back at the castle. Perhaps some training, perhaps some meetings, perhaps some discussion, perhaps oh some, my God. Like, you know, hero like any kind of journey. priming. Yes, uh-huh. because, like, right, because like right now in book six, are, are, remind me, do you do spoilers? <laughs> yep, yep, all of them. Okay, okay. Because right now in book six, Dumbledore is, <clears throat> they're in the middle of their meetings with like the Pensieve talking about the Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore is like, you need to get this memory, man. You need to move. We need to figure this out because he's dying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe if you had started even just like talking to this kid a couple years ago, you wouldn't be so desperate and behind right now. Yeah, it's, it does feel like, and i'm glad that it happened because otherwise the books would be excruciatingly slow burning but the the plan the master plan by dumbledore was to move slower than that right like was to kind of it was almost like to give to treat hogwarts as his training ground for harry that he could oversee and he could kind of like make sure that he doesn't die um yeah and yet 
he still almost dies every year and yeah but we still just really need that permission slip yeah i do have the theory like the dumbledore master plan theory that i'm kind of workshop i have it in my head the the notes and i'm kind of workshopping it as i go through on this reread at an excruciatingly detailed level is it is part of my theory that dumbledore has this particular year started to take more of an interest in harry's happiness not just his pulse um and mm -hmm. thus trying to introduce like family into Harry's life, knowing that the one that he has is abusing him regularly. Um, and that's why Lupin's here this year. That's his, like, purpose, his role. And it makes me wonder if maybe this, this little tea moment with Lupin wasn't almost planted and planned. Manufactured. Like, yeah, like, Harry's not going to be going to Hogsmeade, so maybe have some one-on-one -on -one with him remus like maybe there was something to that um yeah it's like when i'm like um i'm like oh i'm going out of town like if if the girls are going out of town i'm like um can you tell your husband to like invite my husband out because otherwise he'll sit at home <laughs> the whole time we're <laughs> out of town <laughs> it's like oh can you just i think can you just like hang out with harry for the afternoon or something like i, th I think that that would be for the best <laughs> yeah it kind of it kind of makes me wonder if there's if there wasn't some intention there and maybe it just sort of got dementored away because they became a problem. So wait, so they became some intention where and the dementors became a problem. How? Like, I wonder if the plan was for more of these meetings with Lupin to be more of these like casual tea type chats oh, while people are in Hogsmeade. I see. And then the dementors constantly attacking Harry and took making him like pass out kind of like, yeah, took it over. But it did also add that excuse and catalyst in for Remus to teach him how to do a Patronus mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So you ultimately kind of got to that one-on-one -on -one time, but it was more um, uh, less casual, less like... Yeah, very direct. It's like, it's like a very serious tutoring section session. Well, yeah, it, be it became more about safety because these damn things keep trying to suck out his soul and whatnot. Like, yeah. it, it couldn't just be these two bonding, you know, and, and yeah. maybe that was the thought. I, anytime I think about Lupin in this book, like, it just kind of blows my mind how close he was with Harry's parents when they passed away and, like, how much Harry's supposed to look like his father. And, like, Remus Lupin... I feel like if I was Lupin, the first time I looked Harry in the face, I would have like burst into tears. You know what I mean? Like mm. he has so much emotions about this kid that he's like holding back completely. Like he does not let on. He's like, yeah, I knew your dad. <laughs> it's like, we were besties. No, that's and, a good... like, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about my best friend right now who has like a 14 month old. And if she fucking died, God forbid. And like, I didn't see that kid for like 12 years and then i saw her again and she's beautiful and she's like she's like an adult basically you know whatever like a grown-up and she's talking to me and she reminds me of her mom like oh my god yeah yeah that's sobbing. that's that's a really astute point i think because i mentioned to um radio mike in the last episode when we were I talking about Lupin. Mike. he's yeah he's 
I that was one of the like more difficult scheduling things for us to overcome with him oh, being, yeah. you know literally Australians. on the other side of the world um <laughs> but i would like i'd been looking forward to that one for a long time and i'm pretty sure i didn't I'm stop actually... laughing the whole time i was right? re recording <laughs> so, so it was great funny. i'm recording with him tomorrow for burn before reading oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah i feel like i always bring on you and radio mike for like my climaxes because you're both like very funny and you both are also very interested in like the nitty gritty of what's going on so it's like a good a good energy for like the finale of a book you gotta have nerds that also at least pretend to have a sense of humor or yeah uh, <laughs> four people think that i'm funny so luckily you're one of them um Hell yeah the, that's great <laughs> the it i mean it's good odds um <laughs> the shit where was i going with that oh my um, God. um we no were we were talking about uh lupin, lupin and harry yeah and how uh i was we were talking about how like he didn't let harry face the bogger and how uh he was like he didn't also didn't pull him aside and let him know why yeah uh, and and radio mike was talking about um how he has like an added vested interest in harry more so than what you would typically have between like teacher and student and stuff like that and i think the way that one thing that's always bugged me i think about this book is that lupin didn't go out of his way at all to even just like start casual connection with harry until yeah this hogsmeade weekend like it's been months at this it's, point it's weird i feel like he's been just really holding himself back out of professionalism i don't know yeah well and you like you said there, there could be an emotional element that i've never really thought about where he's like it's hard for me to talk to this kid yeah and like as an adult like he's like 30 or whatever and like yeah. at 35 I used to think they were so old and it's like that's how old I am now um <laughs> but like he's like 35 and it's like you know just like going back to me thinking about like my friend's kids like I would recognize like I have a lot of like not only do I have a lot of feelings but I have a lot of like very complex grown-up feelings <laughs> mm -hmm. and like I don't I'm worried that I will get it on this kid if I you know what I mean it's like almost easier to keep them at arm's length oh like Snape oh like you're you're thinking about being the opposite of snape who doesn't just <laughs> get those feelings on these kids he literally lashes out and takes them out on these kids huh horrible funny he's not even really well he's in this chapter but he isn't in it yet and yet i've still found a way to <laughs> complain about snape um okay so our our next hit is the Crookshanks thing where we have to be reminded that Crookshanks exists because Crookshanks is important right. in this book. It's gonna become uh, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes after scabbers and Ron's just trying to be a bro letting Harry copy his star chart homework, which copying Ron's homework sounds like maybe the Dangerous. wrong play here. But maybe Ron copied Hermione's and it's just a nice train of <laughs> telephone and they'll all get different grades. And <laughs> that, but it's not the reason for it. It's the scabbers thing. It's the Crookshanks is after him. It's the whole cat and mouse. And it's the thing where Ron and Hermione are going to start to have a tiff and, you know, 
end up having one of those arguments where they don't talk for a while, which I could do without, honestly. I That's not my favorite. Uh, yeah. I just finished one in Half-Blood Prince. That's the final one, kind of. Well, other than the final, final one. Anyway, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's very fatiguing. It's like, please just talk about how you feel. It is. And you know what? That might actually be one of those, like, leaky con type of a things uh i i had one of i had one revelation on one of the recent um pods and i did a little bonus uh behind the mic for it about the role of bathrooms in the harry potter series and how that should be oh. a, a leaky con panel um go ahead think think about how important bathrooms actually are none of these characters Whoa. ever just take a piss but there's always shit going down <laughs> in the bathroom yes it's true it so I'm, I'm working that one out i need to find the bathroom scene in this book i can't remember one and I'm really hoping that it happens at some point. But hmm. you could do one with Ron and Hermione, I think. There's probably something, there, there's got to be in every single book some kind of like these two are not speaking to each other moment. Like in all of them. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. Anyways. It's very, it's very fresh. Because as mad as I got at, as my, at my friends when I was a kid, I never went weeks without speaking to them. It's like we go to the same school. Mm. We're just going to get into it. <laughs> Yeah, I I can remember one that I had as a kid, and I didn't even know I was in one. Um, but <laughs> I was, uh, it was my buddy who lived in my, <laughs> I'm going to use the term neighborhood very loosely, because this was a rural area, so by neighborhood I mean it was like a six-mile bike ride or something. But, right. um, but it was in the same community, at least, it was just big circle he was on the other side of it when the lake froze actually you could walk across the lake and make it a lot shorter uh he had his girlfriend over and we were all supposed to like meet up at the pool or something and they were probably you know doing rub and tug stuff and like really delaying things and i said something offhand about like why is she making this complicated like why is this why is this difficult and apparently that pissed them both off uh, more than I thought because he didn't talk to me for like two weeks. And I'm like, Whoa. I didn't know we were in one of those things. And then he told me about it after we actually hung out again, which was very odd. Anyways, uh, shout out so to Zach. <laughs> Another um, Zach. Oh, yeah, we had a lot of Zachs. There was a bunch of Zachs. Apparently all of the middle-aged, well, not middle-aged at the time, but what became middle-aged women in that area just liked the same name because um, there were, I, I think we had six uh, in that school, and there were three or four, four, in my class. Um, and this Whoa. is a this is a school that had graduating classes of like maybe a hundred, probably more like Whoa. eighty. <laughs> so, that is wild. My graduating class was one thousand children. Oh, so pretty small then. Very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> you actually knew the names of your teachers and all of that. Uh, yeah, anyways, um, so, I, whatever, you could do that whole thing with, with Ron and Hermione. We're not going to do it because it's an annoying part of these books. Uh, what yeah. we do have, though, this is something I want to get your take on, and it actually comes from this chapter because we're bouncing all over the place here. Uh, it yeah. is, I'm going to set this up, and I want to, I'm curious from you, is being a like writer editor in real uh, rl do kids still say 
IRL? Is that a thing? I don't or know. I don't, like I don't know any old... kids. Oh, that's fair. I literally don't know. Yeah. That's fair. I only know I'm... babies and grownups. That's that's true. I should I should probably you know what? I don't actually want to know any kids. Anyways, <laughs> I I can't tell if this is a character flaw or if this is a writing flaw. So I'm gonna okay. lay it out for you. Okay. It is the moment with Lavender. She's had her day uh-huh. that she has been dreading will come from Trelawney. And it's whatever, October 16th or November, whatever the freaking day it is. Uh, I didn't write that part down. But her rabbit died. Me neither. All, all of a sudden, her rabbit died. It was ate by a fox or something. And this is like, Hermione can't get over the hypocrisy of the... Trelawney prediction part of this to actually be emotionally like uh, empathetic to Lavender she's she's too caught up in the proving that it wasn't a divination to still acknowledge the fact that it sucked for her and here's the part that is inconsistent to me Hermione is like written as the emotionally intelligent one of the group always telling Ron and Harry what they're missing and how other people are feeling and how they have to take their feelings into consideration and all of that but she's wildly inconsistent with it because she's often in these types of scenarios where she can't do the same thing and what I can't tell is like because if you if you go through it like we have this incident with the same character that also has the emotional range of a teaspoon line, who's also capable mm-hmm. of just like ripping Harry out of his order, the Phoenix funk, and like interventioning him into whatever, but then also has the whole spew thing and doesn't like can't comprehend that hiding clothes around the common room is not exactly the way to go uh, and is not like, you know, reading the room, if you will. She's constantly in this like telling them how but then can't do it herself. And I can't tell if that's she recognizes it when it's happening to other people and not her own responsibility and just can't do it or if it's just inconsistent writing for this character for whatever the moment I, quote unquote needs. I think it's a character choice. Um, as much as I love to point out inconsistent writing on the part of JK Rowling. Um, I do think this is a character thing. Um, mm-hmm. like, I, and maybe it helps me I, that I like really relate to Hermione, at least in as much as like, I used to be like a very precocious girl ah. and like on some level, there is this like instinct to be pedantic so as to be perceived correctly. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, but I said this and like, it takes a lot of growth to be like, Oh, people actually don't need to hear that. And if they don't think I'm amazingly brilliant, like that's okay. And so that's something that like, I personally have dealt with in my life as like, I grow older and the examples you were using, you were talking about this and you were talking about the emotional range of a teaspoon or whatever. And then you were going on. To, so, so I think that like most of your like emotionally mature examples 
were actually examples from later books compared to her now in book three being very insensitive. But then she goes on to, you know, help Ron and Harry figure out like what is happening to them. And, you know, she gets over her gut reaction to be like, correct. Um, like a lot more by the later books and she learns to kind of like only react <laughs> in the later books it's like only when she's like really upset about something very personal that she kind of like lets her emotions take over um but yeah I do think that like she just I, in this section it sounds like uh it says like she sounds like she's trying to be comforting or something and I, I really think that she's like Oh, once Lavender understands that this it wasn't foretold by the fates, she'll feel better about it. But it's just, like, not true. Like, feeling like it was foretold by the fates is, like, doing something for Lavender right now. In the fact that Hermione doesn't understand it doesn't mean it's, like, bad or harmful. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been ranting for a long time. I just feel for Hermione. She, she all, the, all, all of our main trio go on, like, great journeys in this series. That's true. That's true. And you're right. character. I the stuff that was coming to mind was later on because I just couldn't think of other moments where she had the opportunity to be the emotionally tell intelligent one, you know, uh, from these earlier books. This is kind of like, this was the only one that I could think of from these first few books. It, it It's yeah. just interesting because it does the consistency that I, that I could find was she can recognize it when Harry and Ron are going through it, but that doesn't mean she doesn't still struggle with her own, like, in totally. the moment you know um and like things yeah her, her reactions to stuff mm -hmm. and like part of being emotionally intelligent like at least in my experience i'm sure there's other ways to get to emotional intelligence but like in my experience you have to start from a place of like great emotion like i think it's easier to be like a very emotional person and then learn how to like regulate those emotions than it is to be kind of like an under emotional person and learn to like force those emotions you know what i mean which is kind of like what ron does ron starts out very callous and then by the end he's like i have to i literally have to do the better or this girl will never date me <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. i feel like she is starting in this place of emotional reactivity and mm -hmm. then like she progresses to being able it's like when they come to the school and they have these magic powers and they're just like blasting off exploding all over the place <laughs> and it's like you have to teach them how to control their magic or it's gonna start exploding and become an obscurus or like whatever dumb thing fantastic beast said about it fair um it's all it is interesting too it may also be something to do with how studious she is because when she understands something from concept and reading and um, and like essentially memorizing the signs or whatever, that's very yeah. analytical and also like translatable to when your friends are doing something as mm -hmm. opposed to she struggles like the one exceeds or the one like outstanding she doesn't get on her OWLs is in Defense Against the Dark Arts because once she... Like, she knows the stuff, but she still can't always, like, get it in that moment of, like, you know, and and she, her journey magically is actually the hero arc that Harry probably should have had, where, hmm. like, she freezes in these earlier books when it comes down to the life or death, oh my gosh, and then by the end of the books, she's, like, 
freaking like master of the wand uh and and really yeah. really good but like she's she's not that from the beginning she understands it all she's very smart the whole time but it's that like in the moment action driven thing and maybe they're the two wires are similar you know uh in her brain yeah i feel like that is connected to her emotional regulation because like she fails to perform when she's experiencing an emotional reaction so like the reason yeah. she did so poorly on her defense against the dark arts final and by so poorly i mean she got to exceed expectations right um it's because she it, the bog art turned into mcgonagall telling her she had failed everything and that like mm -hmm. elicited an emotional response and so hermione underperformed because she was distracted by her emotions and that happened that kind of thing like the troll thing you mm -hmm. know um like that happens so much more in the first couple books and then she like gradually learns to figure it out until like the last book she's doing all kinds of crazy leadership stuff being like all right we're breaking this dragon out of this bank <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's like okay girl whatever you say <laughs> yeah it's it's wild granted the movies took some liberties um and did mold us a little bit because she got all of the good stuff all the time all of the time ron didn't do anything That's good and, true. and harry did very, very little true. good with a with a wand in the in the movies too but anyways uh to be fair she is correct by the way about this whole lavender thing to to bring us back around um but it yeah. does we finally and we're planting seeds for your book because this is obviously what the intent was ron says something supportive to lavender about how hermione doesn't think other people's pets matter much which is yeah. obviously just planting the seed for lavender to fall madly in love with like, him in, in three books <laughs> Because that definitely didn't come completely out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting seeing this version of Lavender when she's just like, I mean, to Harry, she never is more than just like an accessory. She's He's like, this bitch hangs around. <laughs> By my neck, literally won't let me go anywhere without shoving her tongue down my throat. It's It's really a nuisance, Harriet. My lips are chapped. Look. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I love book six so much. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's it's the best. Definitely the best book out of all of them. And it's I won't be convinced otherwise. Uh until I reread it for this podcast and I just get so annoyed with the you know, the the Draco obsession stuff. Ooh, it, I love the Draco obsession stuff because this is the book six is the first book where Harry's like not pretending. He's just like, Where's Draco? I need to find him. I'm I am obsessed. <laughs> I need to know where he's at. <laughs> he's not paying it, attention to me. <laughs> it well, it is out of character because in that book, Draco isn't literally taking every second that he can to bully Harry, and so something else must have his attention, like being a Death Eater and trying to get Death Eaters into the school for something <laughs> and awful. It's annoying. It's annoying <laughs> that he's it. right. Yeah. He's right. <laughs> Yeah, and that's anyway, an inconsistency that, that I'll get to, yeah, once we get there uh, as well. Years down the road. <laughs> so, so long. Uh, anyway, uh, he shoots a shot with McGonagall. She plants the seed for Neville forgetting things because we need to remember that he's forgetful later. Um, right. Uh, and uh, another little baby divination I felt like I should bring up is that when Percy brings up the only things worth seeing in Hogsmeade, he includes the Shrieking Shack, you know, just 
because yeah. that's going to be important later. It's like, like if you think about it, like that wouldn't be fun at all to visit, really, because no. it doesn't make it doesn't make creepy noises anymore, and it's a shack. You just stand there and look at it. Cool, but you know, we definitely needed to know it exists. Uh, and yeah, it definitely Her exists. <laughs> Hermione and Ron head off for Hogsmeade without him. Draco makes fun of him as usual, uh, and Classic. Harry has to go back to the common room and give the password because we also have to remember the fat lady exists. There's so many things we have to remember yeah, exist like, remember? in this chapter. Remember? Mm -hmm. Yep. Speaking of existing, Colin Creevy exists, captain of the Harry Potter fan club oh, that yeah, he started he with Ginny sure last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's here for a second just so that Harry can go back out because, again, we only had this exchange so that he could acknowledge the painting the portrait yes. yeah. that's it that's all it is um he goes to the library instead but he doesn't actually go to the library he i don't know it's it's a thing he runs into phil choose a dick as usual and he's just like wandering the castle alone as we mentioned earlier he <laughs> really? just doesn't know what to do with himself and this is when lupin like spots him and invites him in for tea yeah and a, another Little divination. They're all over this chapter. If you read close enough to actually have to talk about it on a podcast, he <laughs> mentions the Grindy Low, which is super <laughs> important for books from now, because otherwise Lupin's going to strike him dead <laughs> if he doesn't remember this Grindy Low from this moment. Thank God Harry is super observant <laughs> right now, which is fully on character. <laughs> That's so funny because I thought you were mentioning, like, I, I thought you were saying that the Grindylows come up again in book four when they're, like, in the lake. But what you are saying is way funnier and more <laughs> urgent because he literally would have been murdered. <laughs> Lupin has him, like, wand at the neck, just like, what creature was in my office the first time Harry Potter visited? And it's like, Harry Dude, doesn't know remember. what color his socks are he's wearing right now. Oh, yeah. We talked about this on the podcast because um, <laughs> because Arthur and Molly have that very funny Molly Wobbles exchange in book six. That's <laughs> where a good it's like, one. That's what, it's so good. And I was like, what even would I ask my husband to remember? It, it would have to be like, which one of the cats is your favorite? Like, it, it would have to be something. I don't know, man. He can't remember facts like that. No. No, and Harry is it's hard. the most, like, unobservant character except for when the plot specifically needs him to be very observant. Yeah, and totally. Alas, here we are. They finally get to have some tea together, though. It's it's a nice little moment, you, you think, or would think, but mm -hmm. Lupin doesn't really, doesn't really, like open up much here you know it, as as you mentioned earlier he might have some emotions about it and harry just has to like go back to thinking about not being allowed to face the bogger and he's decided he the internal dialogue for harry is to not mention the black dog to lupin which is yeah. obviously something that would be great to tell lupin because lupin's fully aware already. that <laughs> serious yeah. and turn into a black dog but you know we can't have that revelation yet sure that would mess up the plot 
I also feel like Harry never tells anyone anything. So I do believe it that he's just like, oh, I won't bother. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, Harry, you're such a dumb idiot. But then I think about his upbringing and it's like he was literally raised, trained to not bother adults with anything. It's it's actually as as much as the as much as you have to separate the artist from the art for this, it's actually a really smart way to not break the plot of your young adult fiction books is like if mm-hmm. if these kids did the logical thing and told grown-ups or like whatever and the grown-ups just took care of things then like you don't have a book to read you don't have adventures yeah. for them to have like they have to have the adventures and when you have such so many like intricate things happening along the story these books are really really long there's a lot a lot of stuff happening during these books and like that's a lot of opportunities for like the adults to come in and fix something or for something to be like discovered much sooner if only this little thing happened and while that makes for fun fodder on a podcast like it doesn't make for very compelling stories when it's like well harry told lupin about the black dog and everybody knew it was serious and then they went out and they caught it they called canine rescue service and you know just whatever uh and and then they gave him veritaserum and then they found out that he was completely innocent and he was yep, and they uh, used a time turner to go his, back and he didn't have to wipe <laughs> right right all, and they all went back and, and they prevented Voldemort from being born and everything was all, fixed yeah all of the things were fixed like <laughs> that we love to just like talk about it those aren't good books they're they're just sure. not and so this is actually having Harry be the type of character who does consistently not confide this type of information and setting that up very very early and tying it to like the Dursleys told him like never ask questions and like yeah he couldn't e- and he like, does he doesn't I think I get I think in Sorcerer's Stone he goes to McGonagall and is like somebody's gonna try to steal down the stone yep. and she's like shut the fuck up you dumb kid. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, I'll never try that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he doesn't. Pretty much. And, well, I mean, he kind of, Chamber of Secrets, they tried to go to Lockhart. They didn't know Lockhart was oh, like, God. trying to flee. You know what I mean? But, like, Lockhart was yeah. the one who was supposed to go do the thing. So they're like, we have to just at least tell this idiot what we know. Maybe it'll help him do whatever. And yeah. that backfires, too. Like, so it, had, it was set up in ways that's like, okay. You have trained this kid not to confide this type of information, so I believe it when he doesn't. And it's a smart way to at least withhold information that could break what's coming in the book, I guess. Yeah. Um, but Lupin, uh, when he, when he, when Harry like exclaims out, like, "Why didn't you let me face the bugger?" He's like, he he kind of was taken aback, like, "Oh, I I figured it would turn into Voldemort, and that that would be kind of a terrible thing for." the rest of the kids to see pop up in the middle of the classroom. I thought that'd be kind of obvious. Lupin, it's the kind of thing where, you know that joke, if someone's like eating in class and the teacher's like, did you bring enough to share? Like in a classroom (laughs) setting, you're not supposed to do stuff that like just one kid can't do. Like, why did you do this lesson? If, if you, and like, why didn't you talk to Harry? 
I mean, I guess he just had the realization like one second before Harry went up. He was like, oh, wait, this was a horrible idea. I've made a mistake. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Like, I thought he he figured this was going to, this was a really, a really opportunistic lesson because not every day is there a bogger in like the faculty room of the school and yeah. that that subject is what you're teaching and can be used in a practical lesson. Like you don't get that opportunity every day and it could be great for like the class to see. And he's like thinking like a teacher and then Harry gets ready to step up and he goes, oh shit, this thing's going to turn into the kid's (laughs) worst fears. And this kid isn't going to come up with spider. Like (laughs) this could be a big problem. And yeah. It's also just like, I don't know like how much harm in this context of let's face our worst fears how much harm could a fake Voldemort like actually cause you know what I mean it's not like he looks like a Cronenberg monster like he just looks like a kind of weird guy probably in a lot of robes maybe even a cloak obscuring his face like how much panic is that really gonna cause I feel like most of these guys would be like wait who is that yeah, Radio Mike brought that up too about like, and we started to talk about like, what would the bogger even turn into? Like, does it have just like an inherent yeah. intrinsic magic that just like knows what Voldemort is right now? And if that's the case, he shows up as yeah. some sort of wisp or like, does well, and that's does the thing is like use... Harry would not even be afraid of oh, the wisp version, you know? Yeah, and and. I keep saying the full thing, Radio Mike, because I I feel like he should be branded every time you say his name. It's true. Uh, he's like Voldemort. You should brand that shit. <laughs> um, but he brought up too that the is does the Boggart need the person to have like a mental image of what they're afraid of to turn into that? Yeah, and if that's Harry, the case, does Harry, Harry no even idea. really like know what he looks like in human? No, form? Harry has no idea. Or does it just like? actually pop up what Voldemort looked like before he disappeared in the middle of this classroom and like he's this mythical lore that these people are literally afraid to say his name and he just shows up in person like in front of children because that's probably not great um although I I keep harkening back to it he did have a great idea he's like I actually think it would be hilarious. It turns into Voldemort and then Harry does ridiculous and all of his robes fall off and he's just butt naked in the middle of the classroom and it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, like that. <laughs> that's, that is how you defeat a Voldemort bogger, apparently. But I guess <laughs> like this, but this is where this is where this that tangent that I was on in the last chapter and kind of am getting to is like Lupin could have headed off this conversation by simply pulling Harry aside after class and being like, hey, I know you have questions based off of the way that you reacted to this in the moment, like, and when I gave you points and stuff like that, like, Harry was not hiding the fact that he was not stoked that he didn't get to do this. Like, I just want you to know that it hit me that that thing might turn into Voldemort and I didn't want the rest of these students to see that. Yeah. Just And that's all say, it would have taken. Say how you yeah. feel, man. <laughs> yeah, like that's all it would have taken, but he doesn't have any kind of personal relationship at all with Harry yet, which yeah. also like that boggles my mind a little bit. This is when he creates that. This is when he and and time has passed now. 
like we it's been months or whatever since this is when he starts to assess yeah. and he finally tells so Harry's been stewing on this for like months, weeks, like whatever it's been. Um, uh, the smallest things I mean, I know this isn't like a small thing, but like when you're a kid, it's like, oh, he must think I'm a piece of shit. And it's like he you don't even know this teacher, dude. He probably he just probably just like made a mistake or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, but he's 13 and he's going to go to the biggest insecurity he has. And right now that is yeah. apparently fear because he tells Lupin, I didn't even think of Voldemort. I thought of the Dementor. And this is where you yeah. get that like somewhat memorable, iconic-ish line of that suggests that what you fear is fear, which is wise, I guess. Is yeah. that actually wise to fear fear? Um, I think that that makes sense. Um, I think it also aligns with like, I don't know, some kind of like philosophy that JK Rowling is trying to roll out here with her Dementors. L Lupin's like, pretty cool idea, huh, Harry, that I, that this author just wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I, I, I think it kind of makes sense because if you know how to react in like a, a a stressful situation the outcome will be better than if you're like very fearful i've been playing baldur's gate 3 a lot and like in D and in baldur's gate 3 um like if you're fighting with people who are fearful that's like that's like a state that they can be in and it makes them like more volatile hmm. yeah so it's yeah. like i think fear like does change the whole thing and like when you fear you go into like fight or flight mode like you really don't have the time to be like thinking about how to get stuff done that's why you have to just like know beforehand like how to react in situations that's fair sounds wise uh so here comes snape with the potion that we know is wolfsbane potion and harry thinks he's mm -hmm. poisoning lupin um lupin doesn't die but you know little little 13 year old harry brain is surprised by this why was this interaction so short because lupin just like sends him on his way um, I guess it's, like, just enough to make us suspect Snape without detracting from, like, the conversation. Like, all all we really need to get right now is that Lupin is taking a potion, basically. It is. It just, yeah, it, feel, it, it feels a little bit out of character to me that Lupin has been so distant from... Harry, as we've talked about a little bit, and in this, this is his opportunity to say, like, hey, I knew your parents. I knew. We were actually yeah. really good friends. Like, give this kid something, give him a lifeline, like, give him something to feel good about, give him, like, a connection with a human. And Yeah, like, I was your dad's best friend. That That says so much, like, especially to Harry, that says a lot more than, like, I was your dad's brother or something, because it's like, your dad chose me yeah. as his, like, best friend. And I think Harry would have valued the, that choice of James, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he, like, I trust this guy now. And he, like, ultimately, that's what happens is, like, Harry's like, oh, you knew my dad. Now you're my uncle. He gets there, but it feels like it didn't. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I posed these could have been planted, like, uh, planted opportunities by Dumbledore by knowing that Harry's not going to get to go to Hogsmeade and maybe having Lupin here for a reason. And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe he wanted Lupin to start slow 
or something you like let's let's ease him into this idea or something i don't know um, yeah but it, it feels like he could have he could have done more and it's not like either of them really had anything going on at this very moment yeah maybe yep. he's great i mean papers, i totally agree but like <laughs> come on <laughs> i know Surely teachers have you can grade papers by magic right you can probably grade papers by magic i know that teaching is hard but also he lives here he's yeah, not going home to his family he doesn't have kids to like chase around he lives here he's yeah he's working 100 spare... of his life yeah you he can spare a, a, a few extra moments to talk to harry who doesn't have class doesn't have anywhere to be literally can't go to the place where everyone else is yeah he could have had more is all i'm saying uh we didn't yeah, we didn't totally. get it ron and hermione come back give him a bunch of candy tell him about their visit all of that stuff they mini detective about whether snape's trying to kill lupin and whatever um he's not dead during the halloween feast again our tradition halloween chapter eight <laughs> hell yeah anyway. Uh, I was remembering the troll from the olden days. Yeah. Oh, she ought to know. Yeah. The the ghosts do some sign of some type of show. It's all fun and games. I, I, I don't know. I love this for them. These these ghosts have so much free time. In fact, they have eternity and they do they make up like dance routines. To entertain the children. <laughs> I love it so much. Speaking of not having anywhere to be, uh anyway. Um, <laughs> all of this is just fodder so that we can get to the last like paragraph of this chapter. They go back to the common room. Nobody can get in. Percy fetches for Dumbledore. Fat lady's gone. And her portrait's all clawed up. Dumbledore leads, wants to lead a search or whatever. And I had forgotten this, but it's actually Peeves who informs everybody mm -hmm. that it was Sirius Black that did this and it's Peeves in his own Peeves way he's you know talking between his legs and sticking his butt up in the air in the headmaster's yeah. face and whatever <laughs> but it specifically <laughs> says like he didn't dare you know like like not give the headmaster what he's asking for but he's gonna be silly about it yeah it's almost like he can't and maybe it literally can't like help itself from being yeah a tyrant i guess because of what it is it's a poltergeist of like yeah of angst and whatnot and it has to it has to do that but also recognizes the authority of the headmaster and dumbledore of the entity mm -hmm. that created it so it's like i i have to give you this answer but like everything inside of it is like, what do I do if I have to give this answer to you? And it just starts freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't remember if it, I, I, I remember talking about this in my podcast. I don't remember if it was something that we like looked up and confirmed that like a poltergeist is like a manifestation of like an energy in a place. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I've always felt like Peeves very much, like, belongs to Hogwarts, like, is mm -hmm. a version of Hogwarts' personality. And I've also always wondered if there's some kind of, like, very real, like, magical bond or relationship between Hogwarts and the Headmaster. 
And if those things are true, then like Peeves is like kind of like magically beheld to the headmaster. I think that would make a lot of sense because I think you're right. It is. I think that Peeves does have an inherent like attachment to the school in a way that is like binding. It mm-hmm. can't. I, I don't can't think it can exi- leave. Yeah, I, I, it can't leave. It can't exist without the like teenage angst of the uh in the uh you know i want to say participants the students the the Mm -hmm. the people you know that are going there and it's a breeding ground obviously for like exactly what a poltergeist needs to be um there i guess uh but it yeah it has a lot of energy for him to like feed off of yeah but in the same way the headmaster of the school has like a magical bond to the school as well Mm-hmm. In in that, like, there's all the portraits of the past headmasters, and they have to, like, essentially do the... They they have to, like, support the acting headmaster and, like, do their bidding and, like, well, follow their... Or, like, that kind of... Like, it's all kind of... The, yeah, well, connected. the 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 portraits have to support the acting headmaster, but the gargoyle that guards the office would not let umbridge inside so the school chooses who the real headmaster is it's very interesting i think there's something to the the independence of hogwarts in it of itself i i think the reason that it wouldn't let umbridge in is because umbridge wasn't the headmaster appointed like by a headmaster it wasn't like a passing of the yeah. mantle it wasn't a uh it, it wasn't somebody who was magically welcome to the position it was somebody who was like mm-hmm. appointed by an outside source who yeah was in like aggressively direct... seizing yeah and so it, it if it was like like i imagine snape didn't have any problem when he became mm-hmm. headmaster in uh in mm-hmm. the yeah, because it was always Dumbledore's intention. It it was always Dumbledore's intention, but he's also he's also in the fraternity, if you will. You know, the the like in yeah. line. Uh, you know, McGonagall wouldn't have any problem. Snape didn't have any problem. If it would have been Flitwick or another, I think I think if it if it would have just passed to a professor who was there, who was actually like. Mm-hmm chosen for their post or whatever and and welcomed into the school not somebody who was forced in as like a mole Mm -hmm. then maybe it wouldn't have been able to have the same resistance that it had to umbridge but because she was an a plant if you will the school was like you're not welcome here you've never been welcome here and there's not a single scenario in hell that we're gonna let you up these stairs yeah yeah that makes perfect sense and if it wasn't Snape and they didn't have this, like, uh, inherent, um, what you call, like, agreement between he and Dumbledore, you think mm-hmm. you think that Gargoyle changes from, like, a griffin to a snake or a badger or, like, you know what I mean? Like, with the acting headmaster, whatever house yeah. they, they grew up in. I don't know either that or like either that or Godric Gryffindor 
was the first headmaster of Hogwarts <laughs> and be. built it that way and was like, it's just going to be this way. <laughs> Could be. I, I I really like the theory that I've heard kind of go around that every headmaster had uh, it, their own like secret room of the castle mm -hmm. that they created. Mm -hmm. And that's like in, in um, you know, kind of uh, holding it to them and yeah. that the Chamber of Secrets was obviously um slytherins but that oh. the headmaster's office is actually that from gryffindor and then there were other ones that um were suggested Ooh, the requirement could be one yeah the rumor of requirement i think was um i think some have suggested that that was ravenclaw's like secret room Ooh, and yeah and then the um the kitchens well, yeah, the kitchens. For Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've heard the kitchens. I think I've heard the Great Hall. Um, that kind of thing. And that these rooms, they didn't remain secret the whole time. They became like a, you know, a repurpose. Mm. In, the, in but instances. the kitchen is kind of secret still. Like the it students is. don't know where it is. No, very few. I like that yeah. head cannon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always, uh... I, I just kind of, I, I heard that one one day and it was a new one to me, which... I mean, yeah. this series was new to me pretty late in life, but it's it's hard to get to something I've not read before at this point in time, and that one was a new one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, that's that's literally the chapter. That's it. Um, Ta-da. Lots of foreshadow moments, but not really a whole lot else happening. Um, even the climax mm -hmm. was the very last sentence. So Yeah, um, and it's like the chapter was named after it, and then I was like, oh. It, this isn't even what the chapter's about at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, chapter's oh. about, like, everything. Just a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do some house points uh, for this chapter real quick. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at our discretion. Uh, I'm going to give Lupin <laughs> 10 points for being a good dude and spending some time with Harry when his friends Aww. were gone. Um, he needed that, even though it was way shorter than I think it should have been, but it was needed. Uh, I'm also giving 10 points to Snape for making the Wolfsbane potion correctly, even though I'm sure he's being forced by Dumbledore. He did do that, and this might be the first time ever that I've given points to Snape, and it might be the last time yeah, really. that I give <laughs> points to Snape. Anybody you would like to give some points to for this chapter? Can I take 10 points away from Hermione for the way she speaks to a grieving Lavender? N no, you can't. It has to be 15 because I was taking five for that. So <laughs> now it's a total of 15. Um, And I would... <laughs> this is hard. I think I'm going to give 10 points to the ghosts for their dance routine. I know it doesn't I say like that it. they do a dance routine. They're doing like a floating routine, but that's dance. If you're a ghost, like... <laughs> That's I, dancing. <laughs> I'm imagining they're on a a piece of cardboard and they're break dancing in the middle of <laughs> the air. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> it's wonderful. In the air. I love that. <laughs> it's ghost cardboard though. You can see through it because otherwise you can't see the dance. Oh, you just got to okay. see the spinning yes. and stuff. Um, okay, that makes okay. perfect sense. Expecto plot changeo time. Let's rewrite Harry Potter one small change at a time. The expecto plot changeo question for this chapter is: What if McGonagall actually did let Harry go to Hogsmeade without a permission slip? How does that change the chapter? How does it change the series? Does it really do anything at all? I just think that it would have not changed 
much and Lupin could have just talked to Harry at another time. That's fair. It's a fairly anticlimactic one. I probably should have come up with a better question. Um, yeah, because Lupin could have talked to Harry in another way, but we don't get the Wolfsbane potion. We don't get the Wolfsbane. Yeah, it's just like less clues, like less information because like mm -hmm. Harry goes on to sneak to when he gets the Marauders map and he that's what I thought this chapter was about to be. And then I was like, <laughs> we don't even get that yet. Um, but he like sneaks to Hogsmeade and that's when like Harry sees him. I oh, know. Um, sorry. Draco like sees him there when he like his the invisibility cloak like slips off or whatever. And so I think it's, but that doesn't amount to anything either. It's just like stressful. And so I think <laughs> that like everything, the whole plot would have been just the same. It just would have been like a little less, stressful hmm. yeah probably but i would love to know what you think as well i'll share this question on social media across all of the things it's at belated binge you can also leave a voicemail on the website belatedbinge.com with that we've reached the end of this episode of the podcast thank you christine for doing the thing plug the things yes thank you so much for having me zach it's always so fun to come on the show you can listen to my Harry Potter podcast, The Restricted Section. We're on Half-Blood Prince. Um, you can listen to my new podcast, Burn Before Reading, which is about the shitty writing you did when you were in high school and other cringy literary topics. And please pre-order my book, Indie Book Publishing, from Woo! start to finish. It's going to be awesome. I wrote a book, and you can have it. If you're <laughs> remotely interested in being an author, getting published, check it out. Nice. If you enjoyed this, please follow and subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using right now. Do the rating and review thing, please. That It's super helpful. Let other people know that this podcast doesn't suck. Let me know that this podcast doesn't suck. And if you're so inclined, <laughs> check out the additional benefits uh, that are available on Patreon. Patreon.com slash belated binge. Thanks for listening and telling all of your Potterhead friends that their new favorite podcast should be Belated Binge Harry Potter. <laughs>